solution that we provide is a lot of brands or retailers already have their product images. All that you have to do is take those product images, upload them to our portal or give them to us in a zip file or give us a Dropbox link or an FTP server link, whatever way you want to get us the images. We will then take all those images, extract the structured information, things like nutrition, ingredients, net weight, brand name, product name, certification claims, like whether it's non-GMO or gluten-free certified or vegan certified, and we'll collate all of that data. We will then build some enrichments on it. So we will determine what allergens are present in the ingredients. We'll tell you if it there's a peanut allergy in there, or a, a fish allergy. We'll, we do the top nine FDA regulated ones right now. And then we'll also add things like dietary information. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit. And from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. Today, we have with us Daniel D. Millard from Food Space. He's the chief technology officer there. Food Space uses Vision AI to drive scanned products data into a shopper-centric attributes needed for online grocery discovery. We'll learn all about what Food Space is on the show from Daniel. Daniel has a very impressive background spanning across computer vision, natural language processing, and machine learning. Previously, Daniel worked as a data scientist at IBM Watson and as an AI architect at Sevlo. He graduated from University of Wyoming with a master's in economics and finance. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ari. It's great to be here. Daniel, before we dive into the company and what Foodspace is doing, I just want to take a minute to see how you started out. I see your master's is in economics and finance. I want to learn about your journey from economics and finance into some of the cutting edge deep AI. So I was actually finishing up my master's degree in economics and worked on my thesis. When I had a little bit more free time, I was living back at home with my mom and I started taking uh, a Coursera class, Introduction to Machine Learning with Andrew Ng, who is also the founder of Coursera. And when I took that class, it was, it was just like a light went off. And it's like, this is what I should be doing. This is what I want to be doing. That class really put things in a very simple perspective and explained it at a very high level, but still delved deep enough so that you could believe in what you were seeing. And so after I took that class, I kind of was like, well, this is what I want to be doing with my life. Fortunately, my background is in economics. So I had a very strong foundation in mathematics and statistics and calculus. I was also working on a second bachelor's in physics. So I had a very strong mathematical background. But so I kind of found myself in working in the finance industry and doing credit risk modeling and trying to predict whether people are going to default on their loans. But during that time, I was just taking as many online machine learning classes as I could. 
started reading a lot of books. And eventually I, I got my big break where I became a data scientist at IBM Watson and started doing you know, fundamental uh, AI research and haven't looked back ever since. Very nice. And from IBM Watson, how did you in food space? Yep. So I, I left. So when I joined IBM Watson, I was part of an acquisition of Alchemy API. So after they were acquired, they had a bunch more resources. And in the beginning, it was just absolutely fantastic. It was the best of all worlds where you are with these very brilliant people in this very tight-knit startup culture where you're building things, iterating on things. We did bi-weekly hackathons and like this awesome culture. But then we had the full funding of IBM. So we had, you know, a coffee card, you know, as many sacks as we wanted and as much resources as we possibly needed to train our, our models and things like that. But slowly the massive bureaucracy that is IBM started seeping into that close-knit startup culture and it became less fun and developing things quickly. So I left to join a smaller company called Zabilo where we they do website categorization mostly for content filtering so that you know you can set parental controls so your kids aren't going to websites that have porn or hate speech or terrorism. So I was pretty influential in building out the existing system to support multilingual websites, you know, solve things like Chinese and, you know, foreign language websites. And then I also got into some using computer vision to help with those categorizations. So I actually got connected with IO and Dan back when they were a B2C app. Back then they were Lunchbox and they were trying to develop an app that could take recipes and figure out what you got in your fridge and then pair those ingredients that you have to recommend what recipes uh, you should make for dinner. IO's big cause that is very dear to his heart is solving food waste, where you know in America, we throw away a very large portion of our food. So back then they were trying to solve the food waste problem. So I actually joined making a wine pairing recommendation model so they could have a little widget in their app to recommend wine pairings associated with this recipe app. Pretty different than what we're doing right now, but that's actually how I got connected with them. So I was consulting with them for probably about a year. And then in about 20, 2019 at a conference called Grocery Shop, I was you know pitching this lunchbox idea, trying to solve the food waste problem. And the feedback that he kept getting was, hey, this is a really cool idea. It's interesting, but it will never work because we don't have any of this data. We don't know the ingredients in our um, products because there's just no digitized data. And that's that's kind of when the, the pivot happened when he he reaches out to me and says, hey, we don't have there's no data, but there's images. Is there any way where we could take the product images and extract information like nutrition data and ingredients from the images themselves? And then we could provide that to the brands and retailers. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've I've done some some research on that. We can definitely take a shot at it. And developed a prototype. It worked uh, fairly well. Two years later, we're now, you know, battle hardening that and making sure that it's you know, as accurate as possible. But yeah, it's interesting journey, journey of how we got here. Yeah. I like the fact that it's very, very organic as you sort of moved from IBM to, to the other startup and then food space. By the way, do you still have the pairing app? Because I can see myself using it. I can see myself sitting in a Thai restaurant and ordering some spicy drunken noodles 
and then I, figuring out what wine should I order with that. I, I do have the algorithm somewhere. It's funny, everyone always assumes I know a lot about wine pairing. I don't. I, I like to drink wine, but I don't necessarily know what goes well with anything else. But that's the beauty of machine learning is I can not know a whole lot about something, but I can develop models that know more than I do. Absolutely. So now diving into food space, I think you've started giving us what, what it does and how you're scanning the food products. But it's, it's absolutely amazing the use case you have built and the problem you're solving for. So just take a minute to walk us through what the food space offering is today. Yep. So as more and more people are making their grocery purchasing online, and especially during the pandemic, Uh, A lot of us had our groceries delivered rather than going to the store. You really need that information digitized on the e-commerce website. So what what we found is uh, a lot of people don't have that or it's out of date or it's inaccurate. So the solution that we provide is a lot of brands or retailers already have their product images. All you have to do is take those product images upload them to our portal or give them to us in a zip file or give us a Dropbox link or an FTP server link, whatever way you want to get us the images. We will then take all those images, extract the structured information, things like nutrition, ingredients, net weight, brand name, product name, certification claims, like whether it's non-GMO or gluten-free certified or vegan certified, and we'll collate all of that data. We will then build some enrichments on it. So we will determine what allergens are present in the ingredients. We'll tell you if it, you know, there's a peanut allergy in there, or a, a fish allergy. We'll, we do the top nine FDA regulated ones right now. And then we'll also add things like dietary information, whether or not this is vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean diet. And all of that information is now sent back to the brands so that they can now be more discoverable on um, platforms that support those types of filters. You want to make sure that if somebody's clicking uh, peanut allergy and something that doesn't contain peanuts, if your product doesn't have that, you want to make sure that you're showing up in that, that filter. So that's really what we're helping with. And then also just improving the, the user experience. If I'm looking for, if I really care about low sodium or low sugar, I want to make sure that I can find that information when I'm buying it online. So the idea is if I am at the grocery e-commerce site that's selling groceries online and I want to buy something that's gluten-free, high protein, and does not have peanuts, I can essentially put that in the search and say gluten-free, no peanuts, and high protein. And I'll be able to see all of the, the items available in that grocery store. Exactly. And all of that is powered by the data and attribution that we provide using the automated uh, machine learning computer vision uh, extraction process. Got it. So who's your customer? Are your customers the grocery stores or are they the brands? I think we might get into it a little bit later, but we initially thought that our, our customers would be the grocery stores, but... Due to the fact that they're a little bit slower to innovate, before the pandemic, around 95% of sales still happened in the store, and only 5% were online and through grocery stores. After the pandemic, that number has jumped up to 15 to 25%, but still a very large portion of purchasers are being made in the store. So to some extent, 
the retailers have to be very forward thinking with this technology and the value of getting everything digitized and accurate. Whereas the brands under get it right away. You know, they understand the the value of providing really quality information to their customers. And so we are primarily our customers are brands right now. So we will digitize their information for it for them. And one thing that like I couldn't really um, wrap my head around in the beginning of this was okay so you're the brand you're making you know the chocolate bar or whatever you're you have the recipe you're sending that off to the manufacturer why don't you know what's in your product why isn't that digitized information in some database within your own industry within your own organization and the reason for that is there's kind of this disjointed network of agencies that, you know, they're outsourcing to a third party to create that packaging information. They're like raw, very raw ingredients that go into their product, but the actual product label is being ma managed by another agency. So in a lot of cases, we've actually found that if you're a brand manager at a medium-sized brand, you actually have to go to the store yourself, buy your own product take it back if you want to figure out what data is there. So some uh, brands have internal labeling teams that will handle that, but things are changing so often. On average, we see about 30% updating of recipes and product information on the package per year. So current non-AI solutions take anywhere from two months to six months to get that data labeled if you're using a third party. By that time, your product might have already changed. So we can do that same thing with the turnaround time of you know a day or two. So getting that data digitized, get it into your database. Now you can search all of that as a brand manager, do some data analytics to determine if you know your vegan products or your plant-based meat products are, are doing better than others or low sodium or gluten-free and have some of those internal analytics. And the big another big add that we add is being able to map those different data models to each of the different retailers that you need to send them to. So most retailers are uh, a little bit legacy in that you kind of have to fill out this big Excel spreadsheet of different product information. So you literally just type in added sugars, value six, added sugars, units, G, protein, six, that uh, protein unit, G, right? And you've got to do that for spiciness level, for caffeine content, for product flavor. And so you get this massive Excel spreadsheet that has, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 columns. And you've got to fill that out for anywhere from your 10 to 1,000 products. It's a huge manual data entry task. So what we do is we, we have, have our own internal data model, and we will just map our model to each one of those retailers so that you don't have to. So we'll basically extract all of that information from the images digitize it, and then map it to whatever format uh, a retailer wants. We will even put it into the Excel spreadsheet in the exact way that, say, Walmart would, would like it to be. And then all that you have to do is copy and paste information that we can't extract from images, such as price, for example, that's usually not on in the product images. And then you can send it in, into an email, and now your data ends up uh, in Walmart. So what is your business model? Who pays for it? Does Do the brands pay you? 
to have all of their products scanned? Is that how it's work? How would a brand work with you? Yep. So a brand comes to us. We uh, have a upfront digitation fee. You can then download it in CSV or JSON or whatever data format that you want. And then we also charge for those data mappings to each retailer. And then an additional service that we provide is monitoring because we found that even after all of that, even after we've, we've put it in that Excel spreadsheet, we've sent the email off, a retailer might still change your data and it might still end up incorrect, even after you've sent the correct data over to them. So we will specifically scrape those websites and monitor your product to make sure that it is up to date and accurate on that website. So there's you know, a charge for each retailer that we're syndicating to or sending the information over to, and then also a monitoring fee if you want that additional peace of mind. So do you send it to the retailers or do you give it back to the brand and have them manage? We can send it to the retailer. In most cases, there are existing players such as Salsify. So Salsify is a product information management tool and they will syndicate and around, I think, 30% of brands use Salsify. So a uh, traditional workflow would be Salsify is sending that to all of the channels, but to get your data into Salsify, it's still the manual data entry cumbersome task. So you would come to Foodspace, you'd get your digitized information, you can map it to any data model that you select, and then you would take that CSV or collection of JSON files, upload it to Salsify, and then Salsify would send it off to Walmart and Albertson and Kroger and Target and, and all of the retailers that you're in. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's a pretty cool offering where you scan the product and you extract all of the needed information that the yep. end consumer needs from, from it and then distribute it and syndicate across to the retailers. That's absolutely amazing. I want to understand as the chief technology officer there, what technical challenges did you run into in, in building this out? And they don't need to be AI-specific challenges, I'm just speaking more generally. What, what challenges did you run into technically in implementing this? Yep. So we are absolutely obsessed with accuracy. You know, if we, in our optical character recognition models, mistranscribe a uh, semicolon or a colon as a semicolon, that is wrong. Like, we're not okay with that. If we forget a period at the end of something, you know, that's not okay. One major problem that we've had with our OCR models is getting every single comma that is present because they can kind of be kind of smaller and a little bit harder to notice on the OCR models. But the way that our allergens and dietary, that derivation approach works, you really need to have those commas to separate what the individual ingredients are because they can span multiple words. So just solving the, the comma problem is, has taken a lot of time. But I would say like at a high level, it's a lot of small things. I call it the long, long tail problem where for the happy path, if we're talking about a cereal box that's flat and you're looking straight at it and you're, say, extracting the nutritional label, that's not that hard of a problem. But you introduce any variation, changes in, in lighting, changes in the angle that you're looking at it, changes in the surface material, like if it's a bag and it's kind of 
wavy and you've got some distortions there. Changes in background color gradient. Changes in the container type where you're wrapping a the text around like a yogurt container and it's cylindrical and tapered at the bottom. Things like pe peach containers that have a transparent background where you the peaches are literally, you know, the text is overlaid of peaches. There's at least four different nutritional chart types. There's like the vertical style, there's a horizontal style, there's like a paragraph style where everything's like just in a, in a paragraph. And then there's like multiple columns for each one of those. So there's, um, you might have cereal with and without milk and different ingredients for each of those. Every single one of those problems requires a different technological solution. And you, you have, the way that AI and machine learning currently works is you're not going to just have a general model that parses all of that information. So you've got to go in and solve those one by one. And that long tail problem is a lot of work. And then on top of that, you, you take the industry knowledge of, well, what exactly is an allergen? We take like sesame seed oil, for example. Sesame seed oil, I think by the FDA, is not officially an allergen for sesame seeds, but some people do have sesame seed oil sensitivities. You know, it's not going to be life-threatening, but you might have a reaction. So how do you handle those nuances of should you be very restrictive and just say, you know, always an allergen? Some other challenges are things like trying to determine if something is vegan. Vegan means different things to different people. Some vegans will eat honey. Other vegans won't. Some ingredients, you're very uncertain whether or not they're vegan. Sugar, for example, is often bleached using bone char. And if it was bleached using bone char, it wouldn't be uh, vegan. But it's not like that information is being labeled in the ingredients list. So being able to handle all of those nuances and the corner cases, the like death by a thousand paper cuts, is a lot of what we've spent the last two years doing. Yeah, no, I can, I'm getting a sense of all of the moving pieces that needs to be captured and that needs to come together to make this happen. Are there any, any rules of thumb? Are there any best practices you have developed going through these thousand paper cuts? Yep. My biggest recommendation, especially at my time at IBM Watson, is that before embarking on any machine learning uh, or AI problem, make sure that it's tractable. Make sure that you can write down the problem in a, in a sentence. You know, our problem is something is written in images in a structured way, pull that off into digitized data, right? There's, there's some nuances around applying diets that is very ambiguous and allergens, but the problem is at least tractable in that it's, it's well-defined. I think there is a tendency in current AI to go into this general overpromise of general AI and being able to solve problem, any problem with these models. You know, there, there's a lot of hype around GPT-3, for example. And although that's an incredibly amazing model, it's not going to solve all of general language um, processing tasks. It's not going to solve general conversational AI. So whenever we embark on a new feature or, or task that we're trying to add to the, the product, I'm always asking myself, can I, can I write this down in a sentence? Like, is it tractable? Is it well-defined? If it's very fuzzy and abstract, it's probably not a great task for, 
for AI. And then after that, definitely we, we usually start by, instead of even developing the product, we will, our CEO, IO is a fantastic networker and has this capacity to talk with VPs at, at, you know, these very high, you know, fortune 500 companies and get in these like conversations with these executives. So we will usually just ask, you know, the head of a brand, what, it, what do you think about this feature? What do, you, what do you think about using monitoring for your service? How much do you care about flavor profiles and being able to tell if something spicy or sweet or savory is part of the product? And I think that is really that like MVP and way of validating your assumptions. It's just at, you know, floating the question at the people to your customers. And then if we get enough feedback there, we'll usually... Usually start with like a demo or a, a very simple prototype and then try to get that in, in front of them and then make sure that that's, that's correct. And then after that, then it really falls into like all uh, cylinders firing. We want to make sure that we're as accurate as possible. We don't want to do anything half-assed. We want to make sure that any new feature that we're putting out is extremely accurate and well-solved. So let me move to the next question. The next question I have is for a startup, and especially an AS startup, one of the key pivotal moments are when you have customers saying, yes, I like this and I'm willing to pay for it. And I want to understand what does that moment look, what does that, that moment look like for you? And, and what were some of the learnings there to get to that point? Yeah, that's a great question. We So we actually, like I said before, we actually started looking at retailers first. And it's we, we really struggled because we were getting a lot of positive feedback and there was a lot of interest. It's fortunately, I think this problem is like very obvious and very well known. You know, we found that on walmart.com, anywhere between 40 to 60% of products had at least one product or had at least one data error in the ingredients or the nutrients. So everyone knows this. All of, Anyone who's work, worked with this data and anyone that we talk to knows that there's this data accuracy problem and incompleteness problem. A lot of times the data is just not there. The challenge, I think, if, when talking with the large retailers is it's a smaller percentage of the their sales. When you're talking with organizations like Walmart or Target or, you know, very, or Amazon and any technologically advanced retailers, there's always the build versus buy consideration. And they're always weighing your solution against building it internally so that they can scale it to however, however they want. And then I think the grocery industry in general is just a little bit slower to in innovate. And you have these, these very large contracts with the, the retailers that uh, we would get a lot of traction with, but then trying to actually close the deal, it was it was challenging. That was frustrating for a long time until we realized that, well, we can go talk to the brands. They don't have the data, digitized data either. And they're very, very excited to actually move forward with pilots. And it's small, a little bit smaller scale contracts. So it's a lot easier to make contracts or make traction and get yourself in there. So once we started seeing those yeses and like seeing the pot super positive feedback and you know the happiness you know of those brand managers finally getting their digitized data that was like the wow moment of like this is you know how we're how we're going to move forward you know since then we've also started building relationships with 
grocery delivery companies, you know, things like Instaship, GoPuff, and some other companies. But the good, great thing about grocery delivery companies is they're digital first. And, you know, your only interaction with the food products is through the app, through the website. So they're going to care a lot about the, the digital assets and making sure that products are searchable, that the customer service experience is, is great. But yeah, the, you know, the idea of targeting brands in the first place was not obvious at all to us. And it kind of happened via trial and error. And I think, I think our CEO is just really great at networking. And the way that those relationships started was he was just trying to get feedback about and build some general knowledge about the grocery industry in general and figure out, you know, how are the brands interacting with the retailers and not even necessarily trying to pitch anything, but knowledge finding conversations. Some of the brands were like, so, you know, how do I sign up? How do I use your product? He's like, wait, what? You want to, you want to use our product? Like why, why don't you as the brand have the digitized data? So it, it really did happen very organically as we transitioned to just talking and exploring the space where we found that that's really the, the great fit. Yeah, no, that's great. So what is the this new market model looks like for you? Do you have a dedicated teams that are working on finding the potential clients such as grocery stores and food delivery apps and companies? How how are you broadening your market right now? Yeah, great question. So we are a, a B2B solution. So I think those tend to be much more salesperson heavy. So we do have some marketing efforts and we try to get the word out, but most, if not all of our clients come to us by us reaching out to them. So, you know, we'll, we have an internal sales team that does that, but, you know, our marketing head of marketing, our, you know, IO, our CEO, you know, even myself sometimes, we are doing some of that outreach, sending emails, you know, once a certain people will make warm introductions. So again, IO's strength as a networker really pays off there. It's a fairly tight-knit industry and community in the grocery industry. And somebody will know someone, you know, the VP of some retailer will know the VP of a, a brand. And because IO's so great at that, he'll get a warm introduction to that that brand. So a lot of the deals that we've made are just via outreach, via those warm introductions, via you know the, the networking. That's great. Now, what does the future hold? And I'm saying let's fast forward to three years from now or maybe five years from now. What does food space looks like? Yeah, so I I think that the trend for buying your groceries on, online is only going to increase. I think, you know, more and I don't know that the physical grocery stores are ever going to completely disappear, but more and more people, I think, will opt for the experience of either having their groceries delivered to their doorstep or driving to a a store and then just having it loaded up by store employees. So, you know, in the near term, we're going to expand into new markets, things like Europe and Asia, as well as new product categories, things like pets and alcohol and health and, and beauty and really expand the product offering to include more of the retail space in general. You know, we are a computer vision company and food is very near and dear to us, but the problem that we're solving is reading information. And that 
information could be really any retail product. Some cool things is, you know, we've talked to some smart appliance companies and, you know, you will see more of our data integrated into things like smart fridges, where you could order directly from your smart fridge and make that grocery delivery order and have profiles on each person in your family. So if, you know, you know, dad has a, you know, heart issue, might have some uh, a low sodium diet, you know, mom doesn't like fish, so no fish and have an individual profile for each person in the house baked into the fridge. And then additionally, be able to do really cool things, you know, check the volume level of, you know, your milk in your fridge and uh, warn you that, hey, you know, your milk is running low. So we would you like us to put another order in for a gallon of milk? Or we've noticed that there's no eggs in your fridge. So would you like us to place an order for eggs? Some other things that we've talked about, automatically setting your oven or your microwave to the correct amount just by camera scanning your product. Right now, you you could do it with your smartphone and just take a little uh, picture of the product and have that automatically set all of the correct times and you don't even have to worry about it. Could even be integrated with your uh, Alexa to set you set a warning for you so that the alarm goes off at the correct time. Just take that picture, put it in the oven, your alarm is going to go off. Understood. So it seems like computer vision is at the core and the art of possible around computer vision. Great. Exactly. So let me let me ask you the the last wrapping up question here. What advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur who wants to build the next AI product or service? Given your experience going through this journey and building up food space technology, what advice would you have for them? What would you tell them to do? Yep, I've alluded to it before, but start with something solvable and tractable and concrete. One of the big things that drew me to food space is it's a very concrete problem. At IBM, they were trying to solve a problem for everyone. You know, we were working on things like document classification and building a system where you could extract things like keywords and entities from any document, legal documents, health documents, Amazon reviews, Netflix reviews, news articles, and then understand those documents. AI is not there yet. And that is my firm belief. We are, the next five years of AI is targeted problems where we are very focused on solving one particular thing. So if you're trying to understand documents, you're going to have to build a custom model that understands news documents or health documents. You're not going to solve create a model that can solve read any type of document. So stay very focused and confident. The next piece of advice is I would definitely recommend having an expert who can help you. You know, if you find yourself as a non-technical founder, there we've come a long, long ways uh, in being able to solve AI and machine learning problems quickly. You know, scikit-learn, you can train a, a model to do a classifier in like three lines of code. You, you don't necessarily need to, need to know anything about machine learning to do that. But there are a lot of nuances where you won't know where things are breaking or why they're breaking if you don't have that expertise. And then my final, final piece of advice, definitely build out MVPs and don't build out the shiny, perfect thing in the first place. You know, definitely iterate, 
build out the smallest possible thing you can and then make, make it better. Oftentimes the MVP is asking a question, not developing a product or a demo. So talk to the people in your industry. You know, some people are better networkers than others, but hopefully you can either develop that skill set yourself or find a partner that can do that for you. But definitely talking to as much many people in your industry as possible before you go off and build the fancy technological solution is definitely a great idea. That is great, great advice. Hey, I want to, Daniel, I want to take a minute to say thank you. Thank you for being on the show. This was super valuable. And we enjoyed listening to your journey and learning about food space and how you build it out. And we look forward to hearing more great things from you and hopefully have you come back as you continue to grow exponentially. Yeah, all right. Thanks for having me. I would be happy to be, happy to be back. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainsbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.